Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is going to be an amazing, amazing journey today. Journey. Hope you're ready you for liftoff. Lift we are live, we are live now. now. Awesome. Well, it is an awesome day. We are back. It's been a while. We took a little latter part of the summer off and we are energized. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. I am Michael. I am the managing director at DeSanti, and uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm doing planetary health, connecting with some amazing people. Today, we have Gerda, uh, and he is a pharmacist, and probably you probably have a PhD. Uh, you're working on it, but uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Gerda, as a pharmacist, just a little bit about your background before we start on our topic today. Yeah, Mike, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about pharmacy and population health here. Uh, just first, before we go on, I just want to say disclaimer, the disclaimer is all views are my own. Um, so uh, my name is Bridip Serene. I am a pharmacy director for Optum Medical Tri-State, the Tri-State region. Uh, Optum Medical is a multi-specialty medical group. And the region which I'm responsible for is the Tri-State, which has about 2,000 doctors, and we serve about 1.6 million patients. And in that role, I'm responsible for pretty much everything pharmacy. Uh, but I focus a lot of my efforts on how do we use medications more effectively, not more, but more effectively to keep our patients healthier and to keep them out of the hospital. Yeah, that's a big topic uh, we'll be diving into, I'm sure, with out of the hospital. Pharmacy and digital technologies and its impact to po population health. That's kind of what we're going to be driving home today on our topics. And so do you want to just unpack that a little bit before we get dive deeper? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge area to get into, but really the way I see pharmacy digital technology and impact on population health is, you know, a synopsis that it's completely revolutionizing, revolutionizing the industry. Uh, it's allowing for, and it will continue to allow for expanded access, improved outcomes, allowing clinicians to really provide the care they've always wanted to provide, uh, while also addressing the shortages. There's no way that we can always see a patient every aspect of their life, uh, but digital technologies from everything from your phone to your Apple Watch to, you know, different other platforms can really help improve outcomes of care. All right. So how, how do you see the field of pharmacy evolving in this in the next five to 10 years? What, what's, what's, what are we going to see? Are we going to see Star Trek pharmacy? What, what are we going to see? Well, yeah, you know, pharmacists, they're gonna shift pretty much from right now, a primarily product, primarily dispensing role into a more cognitive service function role. And the role of that pharmacist, the value of that pharmacist will expand and be recognized more formally through uh, expanded scope of practice, through reimbursement. And really with the drivers of this, it's inevitable, right? So we have provider shortages, we have uh, these digital technologies that we're gonna talk about today 
Uh, and we have this overwhelming amount of data showing that pharmacists add a lot of value to improving outcomes. And then finally, you have this huge number of drugs and um, the number and cost of drugs in the United States are staggering. So how do we manage this? This is going to shift pharmacists away from their you know, current product base to more, to more cognitive services. So, so tell me, what is cognitive services? That sounds like I'm getting therapy right now. <laughs> uh, great question. So cognitive services can be a variety of different things. Um, I'll focus on a few, but it can be from providing medication therapy management, which helps people understand, hey, what are, what are the barriers for you taking this medication? What are the ways we can solve those barriers? Can we maybe provide a refill for your medication? Can we uh, change dosages to make it more easy for you to take? Those type of things, um, ordering labs, providing naloxone over the counter, vaccinations. And I think in the future with digital technologies and digital, digital therapeutics, there may be an opportunity for pharmacists to actually prescribe digital therapeutics. So they'll know that, hey, this patient isn't tolerating this drug or is having trouble uh, adhering to this drug. Let's, they may, may be a candidate for a smart pill or they may be a candidate for this adjuvant treatment, which is digital. So that could be something that's happened in the future. So I'm hearing a lot of like in the cognitive, say it again, Cognitive uh, services. Okay, cognitive services. In that, I see a lot of extending, like being a healthcare extender, really, like, like using your uh, your awareness with the tools you have and the information, and like filling those gaps of care, sort of uh, as part of that stream of delivery of care. And it seems like right now our healthcare system, I mean, it's not a mystery; it's broken. It's really badly broken. So. Uh, I guess what you're trying to be optimist, right? So you're you're leading the charge on this. You, you uh, with going forward, pharmacists can be a big link, a driving success factor in delivering better care. Um, I just, I have a weird question. I know we have some other questions, but where are pharmacists in where the medications, uh, like, like, um, you know, I know you're at the point of when you're delivering it with the doctor's orders, but what about in the actual, uh, when they're discovering medications, uh, you know, like you're given XYZ, let's say Lipitor. <laughs> yeah. where, where are you, like, you know, it seems like they want to give everyone Lipitor that's over 45. Like, tell me, like, where do they get that data? And I'm sorry, I'm going off cuff, but it, I just, I feel like, you know, if you don't, my gosh, you're, you're not being compliant, but where, where can, where can like, and let's not necessarily use a Lipitor, but I would love to, maybe we could, but where a pharmacist comes in to help educate that patient to alternatives. Uh, Cause it just seems like doctors time is limited and it's, and it's always, you know, anyway, I'm going to stop there. Cause I, that's a lot to unpack and, and we're getting yeah. off track, but that's what we're here to do. <laughs> Uh, that's absolutely fine. So, so when when you're told to take a Lipitor pill, uh, and listen, no one likes taking medications, but some of these medications, like Lipitor, which is a, a category of drugs called statins, 
they have proven evidence uh, to reduce mortality, reduce your chances of heart attack. And that's why it's highly recommended to take a statin. So this is why your doctor tries to push it, to suggest it strongly because they know how effective it could be. The unfortunate thing is a lot of these medications, you know, you feel the side effects, but you don't feel it working. So if you only feel the negative, you don't feel the positive. As a patient, you're like, why am I even taking this? But it, it is working. Uh, there are some serious side effects, which you should, if you experience, talk about with your doctor. Uh, but generally, it shouldn't be something you discontinue without having that conversation. Because there are a lot of different possible scenarios that could be happening besides it being that specific medication or um, you know, side effect from it. Well, back to the topic, what is population health as we go kind of go forward in this whole digit therapeutics, digital technology, what is population health from a pharmacist standpoint? Yeah, so first population health, just as what population health is, is really the outcomes of a group. Um, and it could be something with similar characteristics, like, for example, um, A1C control in patients with diabetes. Now, organizations then take this, this information, they stratify it, they use it to engage their patients to close gaps, improve outcomes, and coordinate care. Um, and why this is really important in pharmacy is because you know the cost and the number of drugs are becoming staggering. In 2021, uh, United States spent about $600 billion on just prescription drugs that we have on record. And that, so if you want to just get context of that, that's about 18% of healthcare spend, which is about 18 to 20% of total GDP. So it's pretty staggering. Pharmacists like myself spend six or more years. So six years is just to get your degree plus possible residencies um, to become experts in drugs from the clinical aspects to the financial to the operational aspects that really help drive uh, value. So as these drugs continue to increase in cost and number, pharmacists are really best positioned to collaborate with other healthcare professionals to manage that spend. So talking about spend, so if I hear you correctly, I'm not a mathematician, but you got 18 to 19% of our GDP total healthcare spend. And are we saying then if you do the 18% of the GD of, of the total healthcare spend is the pharmacy spend, are we talking like three to three maybe percent of the GDP is pharmacy spend or something like three to four percent? Uh, I think that's about right. So around three to six percent. I'm not a mathematician either. Uh, so definitely, it's definitely pretty staggering. Wow. Medications being that expensive, and it's only getting more expensive. You see these drugs, they're more and more precision-based drugs, which are very specific, which would limit side effects and improve efficacy, but they're incredibly expensive. So if, if pharmacy is like 18%, what, I don't, I, I should know this offhand, but what is the hospitals? Do, do you know? And, and I guess we could fact check it, but what's about the hospital spend? Do you know? Oh, um, 
I actually had to double check that. I'm not really sure, but somewhere around, I want to say 15 to 20%. Okay. Okay. So those are the big factors driving the cost of care. So that those are the two factors. So then again, getting back to population health is figuring out the pharmacy medications, the best medications, the right medications, and then avoiding hospitalization is really the goal. If you're looking at it would be populations really and, and delivering the best patient care. I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. And just to add to that a little bit, it's not about what's the most lowest cost drug. It may be more appropriate to spend more on a drug to avoid a hospitalization. In fact, many times it is. And mm-hmm. that's the shift that we're having from, oh, this drug costs a thousand dollars. Okay. Um, if there's another drug that costs a hundred dollars, but the one that's a thousand dollars prevents you from going to the hospital, that's the better choice. That's actually the most cost-effective drug. I would, I would, I would imagine sometimes that's hard to find out that data. It seems like, uh, and maybe it's easier. You know, I mean, so it, you know, with some of those things, it's it's simple that uh, the costs are just way too high. I mean, I I know something about what, what's that new medication for uh, low, you know, obesity or you know, that's lowering it a mega like uh, for diabetes. And it's, it's like, everyone wants to take it and lose 30 pounds. And it's like 1600 a month. And I think uh, Elon Musk wanted to take it and you can get it for 60 bucks or something in Europe or something. I mean, it just seems crazy about that kind of stuff with the difference. But um, anyway, uh, that, that to me seems a little odd how, how that unfortunately is, but that's America. So where does pharmacy fit into population health? Well, exactly. Like, if you want more examples of how they actually can contribute to um, improving population health, uh, th- there's so many of them, really. But I, I'll focus on a few. Uh, I kind of alluded to it somewhat before. So one is uh, medication errors. So medication errors are one of the most common reasons for preventable hospitalization and ER visits. So pharmacists conduct a process called medication reconciliation to identify any um, errors such as omissions, contraindications, or duplications in therapy, which have been known to cause adverse events and lead to hospitalization and ER visits. It's a pretty lengthy process, but because we're experts at medications, um, we're well positioned to do this type of service. Um, so, so do you guys have the time to do that? Where do you do that? When do you do that? It seems like that would be really tough to get that right. I mean, is it are you, is a reimbursement for the time necessary to get that right? Yeah, that's a great question. There is reimbursement in some scenarios, not always. Uh, time is always difficult. You know, pharmacists are not a cheap resource. So a lot of organizations struggle with having pharmacists to MedRec at scale. Uh, there are digital health companies that do help support uh, MedRec to make it more efficient by using data sources and things like, you know, um, scanning vials to actually pull that data, find out what drug that is. So a patient can actually scan all their medications and it populates into their, their list of meds. And then someone that you can review it and say, all right, based on this, I see what you have. Based on your claim, to see this. Based on your hospital list, I see that. And they can work with the providers and the patient to see what's the right thing that the patient should be on. 
Yeah, a, a good example is my, you know, father, my both my parents are age uh, elderly and, you know, my dad's 90. And so, you know, I, um, my mom often takes, you know, every so often, I don't know, probably twice, probably every week is going to the pharmacy, I could imagine, right, for both of them. And I keep on telling her, tell the pharmacist you need some UTI, cranberry, whatever, and they'll know what to do. And she keeps on forgetting. And I'm the bad son. I should just do it. But to me, that's like just one of those things that um, is is part of the treatment plan. But it, it goes passing in the night. I mean, I don't know how many UTIs, but he's highly acceptable to it. And so it just that to me is where I guess you would even though that's not a medication, but a lot of those are, I mean, isn't that under the, 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 a lot of the, under the, the pharmacist preview, would you say those sort of things? Like, uh, I could say yes and no. Um, I mean, right now the environment's all based on, Hey, fill these scripts. Uh, I do think that, yeah, if you see a patient who may benefit from it, it could be an opportunity, but right now in scope of practice, I mean, it's over the counter, so you could provide it. It is not something, unfortunately, that pharmacists get a chance to step outside, see the patient, provide that intervention. Imagine doing a thousand scripts a day. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's yeah. overwhelming, and you know that's. I'm surprised. Because I'm really surprised when you think about it, though, with like the the pharmacy, the the point of you know retail, they wouldn't do that. There's so much money that they could be, I mean, my gosh, to have another vitamin or filled at the point of a location. So I, I don't know. It just seems like um, maybe Rite Aid. If Rite Aid would have done that, they'd still be in business, right? I mean, we, we definitely do our best in yeah. the environment we have. I know that the farmers are always eager to find opportunities to help patients as much as they can. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we just can't be as yeah. we want to be and digital technologies might help change that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i didn't mean to be like you know i was kind of kidding but not but right aid like hey can we supersize this with you you know it's like <laughs> you know but who, you know anyway can we do a better care plan for you today what yeah. what are the biggest challenges that the pharmacy industry faces in promoting population health um i mean just back to our previous point we have other aspects that could you know, we can address things like improving adherence and outcomes and vaccinations um, that help really improve population health outcomes. Uh, but you know, some of the biggest barriers, again, are our scope of practice and reimbursement. I'd say those are the two biggest ones for pharmacists specifically. In some states, we're not even considered healthcare providers, which is kind of alarming and sad. Um, we don't, we have, we're pretty limited in our scope of practice and we don't always get reimbursed for all our services. Now this is changing dramatically. So the law of states in the past, you know, year, a few months have done, has made amazing changes, um, but we still have a long way to go. And so I, I think once we address these areas, pharmacists can shift from their current roles to more of a, you know, patient facing cognitive mm -hmm. role. So with this, so what do you see, like, if you could, like, basically, I hate to say, wave your magical wand, or if you could, with, 
you know, if you could see what, if, if pharmacists could do what you like, what, what would that look like? Ideal world. Yeah. an ideal world to extend your scope of practice. Like where, where would that be? What that, what would that look like? Uh, let's just focus on the community pharmacy aspect of maybe community pharmacy and patient facing aspect of pharmacy. Um, so I think in certain scenarios they they can, you know, review, look at the patient or have a conversation with the patient about the medications they take. Um, a first fill always have to ask questions. Hey, do you have any questions? Oh, these are some pearls about the medication. Don't take this antibiotic with, for example, milk because it interacts. Sadly, I don't always hear that being said when I forget my med, right? Um, that's a, that's a base. But as scope expands, you know, identifying any adherence barriers and solving for them, being able to work with the provider and there's such a agreement to order labs, order refills, uh, titrate, and even change medications based on guidelines. It's not, you know, as they wish, but there's certain conditions, chronic conditions that have very straightforward guideline-based treatment. And I think pharmacists could help improve access to prescribing meds and changing meds in a timely fashion. Um, also just making sure that they're able to prescribe rescue treatments, which in some states they're over the counter, sometimes they're not. Um, so just being able to do this type of thing will be really important. What is rescue? What's rescue treatments? Good question. So, uh, for example, naloxone, which I believe okay. in many states, if not all, are is over the counter, or glucagon, which is for low blood sugar, which can actually send you to the hospital. Naloxone, as many people know, is for opioid overdose and can send you to the hospital as a result. So those type of things would be really valuable for pharmacists to be able to do. Uh, vaccinate, vaccinations for people because you know pharmacists are the most accessible health professional and even where they're you know doctor off desert for doctor's offices you can often find a pharmacy not always but often um, so I think being able to vaccinate people and support their public health efforts will be really valuable so I, I thought they were able to uh, do that now. Uh, is that uh, help me under better understand that that barrier for pharmacy uh, pharmacists uh, vaccinating? What what's the challenge right now? Uh, they they are able to vaccinate uh, to certain levels, certain extents, and be reimbursed. But I'm just saying in general, uh, those are important aspects for them to have. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, Fascinating. Can you discuss some examples of successful population health initiatives led by pharmacists? Yeah, sure. So uh, kind of like to what I was talking about before, uh, pharmacists can do medication reconciliation, which can reduce med errors and preventable hospitalizations. Um, they can also help uh, with medication adherence and disease outcomes. So the only medication that works is the one that they take, but only 50% of people actually take their medication as prescribed. Uh, so this is pretty concerning since often we look at adherence as a 
indicator for eventual disease control. So if you're not taking your medication, your disease may not be controlled. And that may lead you to the hospital or worsening condition uh, and so on. So pharmacists are able to assess and address those adherence barriers. Um, and as I said to you before, in some scenarios, they are able to uh, adjust and titrate drugs. They're able to order labs and medications. And they're, this allows for improved access, uh, improved patient experience, and actually is shown to have a four to one ROI. So for every four dollars, for every dollar you invest, you gain four dollars uh, back. It seems like they don't want to spend any money. That makes sense, though, right? I mean, isn't that the whole thing? All the education, all those signs. I mean, it's just unfortunately with all that information, we there's just a reluctance, right? I mean, to 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 spend money where you actually might get money back, right? I mean, it, I mean we're. I mean, we're in a fee-for-service model, even though we talk about value-based, right? I mean, it seems like there's a challenge, right? To, uh, I mean, is that a challenge with the insurers? What, what is that, the challenge? Why, why don't we want to invest more money to get uh, better uh, preventative uh, care and, 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 you know, help on those things? Yeah, so, I mean, I think any change like that takes time. And as I said, that there have been significant changes and you know, states, Medicaid, saying we will reimburse the pharmacy services in different scenarios. So things are changing. I think it just takes time and really the proof is in the pudding to show, hey, pharmacists are really doing a lot and they continuously do so. So I think as time goes on in, as we said, like five, 10 years, I could definitely see more and more states, maybe even, maybe even nationally, pharmacists being reimbursed for some of the services they provide. Yeah, I would hope so. You guys do so much. Uh, patients know their pharmacists better than their doctors, I'm sure, in many ways, the good pharmacists. But you guys are so busy, then there's the barrier, too, unfortunately. Like you said, a thousand, geez, a thousand, gosh, or, orders or prescriptions a day. Um, probably a lot of burnout. But that, let's go on to Digital therapeutics. This is this is a really. I know you get really excited. You probably have dreams at night about digital therapeutics. I do have a real passion and interest in digital therapeutics. Um, so you know, currently you look at digital therapeutics and well, what digital therapeutics are first. So currently you have medications, and they have different dosage forms, right? So they can be a tablet, a pill, a cream, an inhaler, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there are different dosage forms to deliver a therapeutic intervention, the drug, right? Um, so all of these, though, come with some level of side effects, risks versus benefits. And that's known part of you know, prescribing meds. Digital therapeutics, however, they are a software that delivers a therapeutic evidence-based treatment to patients. So this is without side effects. There are barriers, but they, there are without side effects. And so one example of this is uh, ADHD. So right now, ADHD is often treated with stimulants, which are addictive. They, they have their own concern as controlled substance. But there is a digital therapeutic which uses a game 
to treat ADHD. Now, I would much rather, should I, if my child has ADHD, let them play a game than put them on a stimulant. No, that's a great example. So how long does this kid get to play this game? What's the trick? I guess it depends on the level, <laughs> you know, the dose of the game, five hours a day. The kid's doing great. He's not bouncing off the walls. This works. He's on it for five hours a day. He's doing great. Every waking moment he's playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be interesting to understand how, how much time it takes for that therapy intervention to be, to actually work. Uh, that I don't know, but that's a good question. Well, I think statins take six weeks, right? Um, don't quote me on how much time it takes. I don't really know offhand, but can take a little time for it to work. Uh, there are many drugs that take about six weeks to work. Antipsychotics are one that often takes six weeks to work. Uh, sometimes it's not so sure exactly on the, on the statins. Yeah. A dog is great. I tell you, you, you have mood issues, get plants, get exercise and get dogs. I think that should be in the uh, treatment plan too. And, and play video games. Right? <laughs> that, that's the kind of treatment I like. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, you can't really be unhappy when you see a cute puppy, right? Yeah. And plants. I tell you, I went the other day. My wife has gotten really into gardening. And we went to the nursery. And I tell you, I cannot tell you. I was trying to figure it out. And then I'm like, you know what? It, it, I'm in this greenhouse and there's just so many different plants. It, there is something there and, and, and maybe it was just coincidental. I don't know, but I really think there is stuff to that. Um, but anyway, this is kind of off topic. That's what I do to try to, you know, we are planetary health first, Mars next. Uh, you know, at this point in time, we are here on earth. And uh, I would say just like there is a future with digital therapeutics that will be 30 years, 40 years, and it will probably be treating people in Mars. Uh, so anyway, how do you think digital ther health ther uh, technologies will impact the pharmacy industry and population health? I know these are similar thoughts that we've questions we've had earlier, but if you want to take a stab at that again. Yeah, sure. Um, so really the way I see digital technologies impacting pharmacy and population health is completely revolutionizing that industry and or or will because I think it's still it's slowly happening. Um, but I think there are probably about five crucial ones I can think of, but there are likely also a lot more. So in medication adherence and disease state management, uh, they have these smart pills and bo bottles technologies that provide a precise adherence measurement which is a big improvement versus current standards of care. So right now, either uh, you have to count pills, see your patient, and you'll count the pills, did they take it or not? Or on a population health level, you'll use something called proportion of days covered. The proportion of days covered is based on claims, and you really have no idea, is the patient actually taking the medication? Just that there is a paid claim for them taking it. It could be sitting on the pharmacy shelf. It could be sitting on the patient shelf. It could be in the garbage. Who even knows? So if you have these more precise measurements, you can more accurately determine, yeah, the patient's adherent uh, or non-adherent and act accordingly. So, but granted, this is going to be way more expensive. Well, not maybe way, but definitely more expensive than the pill alone. So the question that 
individuals have to know, ask is, when is it worth it to pay that extra amount? If, for example, for um, patient it has uh, chronic heart failure, it may be really worth it to provide, to pay an extra $200 a month to make sure you can track adherence and intervene. Uh, that's a question to, that we have to ask in, in the future because we will be able to measure. Um, another area that I think of is practice is identifying treatment success or failure. So right now, pr practicing and prescribing medication is really an art form um, and science with art as well. And there's inherent risks and benefits. So some people may have more side effects risks uh, than others, but we don't really have a way of knowing that in many scenarios. Advanced digital technologies, which are powered by vast amounts of synthesized data, will eventually, not now, but in the future state, be able to predict individualized drug risk benefits. So patient John Smith comes, comes in and that digital technology knows there are 500 other John Smiths or individuals like John Smith, they'll say, well, this drug is more appropriate for this patient because based on all the data I have, they're more likely to have, not have side effects and have desired outcomes. So that's really, really interesting. Uh, but I think we're a little away from that. Is that getting into what we've been hearing, this digital twin? Is, is that what we're getting into where you uh, I know there's something else that's more like big pharma trials where you have all the different, um, you know, I guess you can on a computerized model, you can create what would be, I guess, a, a model that you could then test without actually giving that patient the medication to test I don't know. Anyway, that's way over my head. Um, but I thought that was sort of what I was hearing a little bit of that same concept there with the digital therapeutics where you're eliminating the side effects and you can really use precise uh, precision medicine, I guess, under that category. Maybe that's the category. And uh, I'll stop while I'm ahead and let's get back to um, what advice would you give young, aspiring, excited students, few future pharmacists that about population health and digital health and digital therapeutics, what should they do? Where, what should they study? What, what, what's, what, what can you do to help these people to steer them the right way? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of general recommendations here, right? So one is be eager to learn um, and find every opportunity to do so, whether it be a project, at your current job or you know a rotation or a unpaid side project gig that you can do whatever you can do try and do it you never really know when that opportunity knocks but you need to have experience so experience is often more worth it than just the money or just the hey i got paid x amount of dollars to do a project sometimes when you don't have experience you just have to do the work and show the value uh, so i'd be eager to do that to do that. Uh, I'd also try and find a mentor who is doing work that's similar to you, the type of work you want to do. But key thing here is not to be too pushy, but more ask them for any advice 
or um, recommendations and eventually try and build a relationship. And if that individual is willing and able to be a mentor, they will. Um, it, just, it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of effort. Someone has to be really passionate about doing it and having the time to do it. So it's just important to keep that in mind. Uh, I think probably one of the most important things though is taking all setbacks to as opportunities to learn. So there's been plenty of times that you know, I'm interested in digital therapeutics and digital health. I want to learn. I'm not able to find anyone. No one's responding to my LinkedIn's. Keep on trying, you know, learn from whatever your mistakes were and keep on growing from that. And yeah, I think that's those are my main recommendations on getting into the space. There are a bunch of different certifications as well, uh, which are available through different colleges and uh, I think even on LinkedIn, there are a couple as well. Well, that seems to be helpful. I really like the way you uh, shared about mentorship. I think mentoring is hugely important and it's like a give and take. Uh, a good mentorship, the actual mentee and the mentor should be receiving both almost equally. So yeah, not. Um, I think that's the hardest thing is to really find the right fit too. But uh, I think that's tremendously important. Um, anyway, we're kind of coming towards the latter part. Uh, I do want to open up, you know, continue. Uh, is there anything that you feel through this conversation that's kind of been kind of bubbling up to the surface and your thoughts that you'd like to just shout out on planetary health first, Mars next, any sort of thoughts uh, that you'd like to uh, um share with our guests, our audience? Yeah, so for me, you know, a lot of times people wonder, are digital technologies going to replace healthcare professionals? And in my personal opinion, no. I think it's actually gonna help us evolve, it's gonna help us address shortages, it's gonna allow us to provide the care we've always wanted to provide. Uh, look at Looking at the patient outside of the walls of our healthcare institution, because right now we don't really see them outside the healthcare institution. There's limited visibility, whether they go to the pharmacy or they go to an outside healthcare institution or they're at home. Digital technologies can help us, for example, sense you know, elevated heart rates in a patient very early and treat them early on. So I really think that digital, digital technologies offer us an opportunity to evolve and to really help our patients in ways that we haven't been able to help them before, in ways that we've always wanted to provide before. Is there any organization that you're active in uh, that you're following closely with digital therapeutics that kind of keep on the cutting edge of legislative, regulatory, uh, and forming yourself as a pharmacist? Uh, right now, mainly I, I, I work and I am part of ASHP and AMCP, which is the American Academy of Health and Pharmacists and American Academy of Managed Care Pharmacists uh, to keep on top of things. There's another one that I, I'm trying to remember the exact acronym, but they work in basically the intersection of augmented reality and um, medicine, which is really interesting. I just can't seem to remember their, their acronym. But once I do, I'll write in the comments um, 
once it's posted. But really yeah. just to understand where is technology being used, how is it being used, uh, and trying to keep active in di different digital health uh, conferences. So I know Columbia does one, and a few other ones do do them. So I try and keep active there. Well, Gerda, this has been great. I really like your, uh, it's obvious you're passionate about your work, your profession. And I think, uh, especially towards the latter part of our talk, you, you brought up, you know, what you could do to encourage students. Um, I think that's really great to hear from you. I think I, I get the feeling we're not sensing that a lot with all, all pharmacy uh, and pharmacists. There's a lot of burnout. And I think the same with clinicians. I get it. Uh, feeling that a lot of them are are leaving, and uh, you know, so it's really encouraging to hear you be kind of a model for those. And uh, you know, just just uh, I think everyone wants to go into something and do things well, and and it's good to hear that you're doing that. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Well, this is great. We're going to sort of we're we're not leaving Mars yet. Uh, we're still in Earth. And we're kind of wrapping it up. And with that. Friends, it has been a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Follow us for more on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Until next time, peace be with you.